Welcome to Deep Impact Investing with Kimberly Griego-Kyle from Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. In this podcast, we talk about sustainable investing and how your portfolio reflects your values. Do your investments seek accountability from corporations that govern more and more of our society and even the lives we lead? Listen in as we explore the question, are you investing like you give a damn? Hello and welcome to Deep Impact Investing with Kimberly Griego-Kyle from Horizons Sustainable Financial Services. Kim, how are you this morning? I'm doing great, Eric. I I can't believe we're over three months here still working at home, but there we are. Yeah, I've done it for eight years, so so far so good. uh... (laughs) I've done it for three months. (laughs) Is it driving you crazy yet? Uh, no, I've kind of gotten into a routine and, you know, now we have chickens and so it's, it's kind of nice. I'm, nice. I, I don't mind it. Yeah. It's so funny because Matt Halloran got chickens too. You know, the, the did other he? guy, he, they did. Yeah. They've got yeah. like eight. So that's, oh, that's well, a trend. Yeah. Yeah. We've got 11. So I'm enjoying the ladies. It's nice. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'll so. just, I'll just rub that in later to him that you've got 11. He's only got eight. He's just yeah, lacking yeah, some chickens. Yeah. <laughs> You have wonderful guests back, and I am so yes. excited to to get started with this podcast. Do you want to remind the audience who's here with us? Yes. So this is our, our third uh, in the series uh, of our three-part series talking about life after COVID-19 from a sustainability perspective. And we are back with Kate Noble, Catherine Mortimer, and Melanie Stansbury. So we're going to continue this conversation Focusing today on the political aspect. So we've kind of saved maybe the uh, exciting portion of the the topic for for the third episode. So welcome back, ladies. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us. It's great to be back. Yeah. Good Good morning. Thank you. So uh, this is uh, June of 2020. And here we are talking about, um, again, life after COVID-19. And uh, I I did, I I want to just mention, I got uh, an email from a listener who listened to our first two uh, uh, podcasts in this series. And um, her her name is Chiquita. And I I really uh, appreciated her comment. She said that we should mention the date of, of, some of these podcasts. And I thought, well, that's a good idea because this is very timely and relevant. So um, I just wanted to thank Chiquita for that uh, comment. So June of 2020, because this is very important that we're talking about this time frame. But I just want to recap a little bit on, we, we've talked about resiliency. We've talked about education in this time of COVID. We've talked about the economy, what we think sustainability is going to look like in our sort of post COVID-19 world, uh, although I'm not really sure there's ever really a post-COVID-19 world. Um, and and so much has really happened since we did our first two recordings. Uh, the stock market's recovered, then it's dropped again, and then it's come back up. And, and then also the political world is really erupting. So there's so much going on in this current political environment that is not really based on the COVID piece that I think we're all super passionate about. And I know we want to probably digress into the area of our political environment uh, in terms of the the impor- very important issues around 
racism and all of that. But I, I do want to mention that the next podcast episode that we have coming up, uh, number 28 following this, is going to be focused on racism and the protests and all of that. So I hope that today we can focus on the uh, very important issues around the COVID-19 sustainability stuff that we're talking about. And not that the um, the topics that are so heightened right now are not important, but let's focus on, on the COVID-19 stuff and maybe even some of the important issues around medical care and people of, of color that are definitely part of the COVID-19 piece. But where should we start? Does someone have uh, a topic in the political area of this they'd like to jump in on first? Kim, I, I'll start off. Quick question for everybody. Everybody watches different news outlets, I'm sure. But do you think that the political arenas are using this to their advantages? Are they trying too much to ply this issue specifically for the upcoming election and whether it's bashing one side versus the other or look what we've done that's good, kind of patting ourselves on the back compared to the other. Are you seeing a lot of that in the news channels that you're watching? Mm, that is an excellent question. Well, this is Kate and I'd say yes, that is happening. And it's sort of, in my view, the most basic response that we can get, you know, let's just dig in on one side or the other and bash um, whoever we perceive the opponent to be. And I think it's really harmful. I mean, what I'm seeing right now is that we have an opportunity, um, and it feels reasonably fragile, but we have an opportunity to really grow as a society and as a political um, operation, a, a political collective, a democracy, which is really the exercise. But, you know, my hope is that we don't dig in on this side and that, that what we can embrace what I would even call true liberalism, which is to listen closely to other points of views and ideas and to try and understand them without... Um, purity tests and without uh, sort of just immediately getting angry. And, and there's a lot of cause for anger, don't get me wrong. But I really think right now we've got to try and have the most sort of open minds and hearts that we can so that we don't dig in and kind of get drawn to where the media in what has become the 24-hour cycle, the clickbait, the internet, the social media, all of the things, you know, the media will often try and draw us there. And sometimes you see efforts from media outlets to try and have a more um, fulsome analysis of lots of different things and, and thoughtfulness in coverage. But really, we're not set up for that right now. And, and I think we're at a somewhat dangerous place because of that. Kate, I really agree with you on that because we're so in tuned to media and what they have to say and the natural bias that we have to, to focus only on the media outlets that we choose to believe in and, and follow those rather than being more open-minded. And I think that's uh, an issue that we have in this country and, and not, not be more open to 
other points of view. And that can be, can, can definitely be an issue. So yeah, I, I think that's, that's definitely a concern. So we've stopped listening to other points of view. I think this is one of the, the good and the bad that's come with the internet, the ability to get so many more voices out there in general, is that then people naturally tend to focus on listening to those voices they agree with. It makes them feel good. It's frustrating to listen to something that you just think is wrong and, and sometimes cruel, uh, the way that uh, other people, the, the way that some of the um, news outlets characterize uh, people and groups. Um, and so it's easy to find yourself in a hole where you only are hearing the voices that you agree with. Um, and the problem with that is that other people are listening to other voices and they're in their own holes and we're not really listening to each other. And I'm not sure that we listened to each other better b before, but I remember I'm a little older and I remember when I was younger, you know, you'd listen to Dan Rather or you'd listen to, um, people on the news and um, there weren't a, a ton of voices and there seemed to be voices that by the nature of having to speak to, try and speak to everybody, they found middle ground or they found where there was agreement or that kind of thing. So, um, you know, it's, it's a blessing and a curse, but the internet has given rise to voices as well so i think that one of the things that we really have to keep in mind is that when you're in an election year all media whether it's television um the internet your social media is everything's in a heightened state and that's not by accident it's not just because everyone's you know feeling keyed up about the election it's because people are spending millions of dollars to put advertising and messages in front of us that, that that make us feel and think about the world in a certain way for the purpose of, of trying to persuade us to vote for certain candidates or to care about certain issues. And I think one of the things that's happened, which was a big lesson of the 2016 election, is that increasingly as we're relying on um, social media in particular, we have these hyper-focused sort of uh, media that we're interacting with, and it makes us particularly vulnerable to targeting. So, you know, my Facebook feed, my Instagram feed, my Twitter feed is all constructed around um, the kinds of voices that I follow, the kinds of advertising that's being micro-targeted at me. And so the world that I'm seeing and the lens that I'm seeing it through is through a very specific um, and, and there's a there's hyper-partisan political messaging that's being shown to me every day. So I do think that because we're in an election year and because we're living through a pandemic and because most of us are staying at home right now and consuming massive quantities of social media and media um, at home, we're extremely vulnerable right now. And, um, and so I think we have to be extra careful in the way that we're sort of responding to the kind of media messages and especially in an election year because the bubble that we're all living in, the bubbles that we're all living in um, are affecting our sense of reality. And so, you know, I think there's a narrative happening in our political discourse that we're getting farther apart. And that's, that's because that is 
there are there are interests that are are trying to create a narrative for us that that we're all different and that we shouldn't care about the same things. So I, I think that the kind of convergence of living in the time of COVID and living in an election year are making all these feelings feel much more heightened. That's very true, Melanie. And you actually are bringing up uh, another question that I have on this. And, and I'm wondering how the, the pandemic, how COVID-19 will affect our elections in November. And I, uh, I want you to start off that sort of conversation and what you think this is going to, to do with the November elections. I think we've seen a little bit mm -hmm. in terms of um, some of the midterm election, or not midterms, but the um, primaries here. Uh, so, so what do you think it, this is going to do? Yeah, so it, it's already affected our elections. I, you know, I think beginning sort of nationally, we saw with the Wisconsin primary, and certainly there's been a repeat state after state uh, in terms of primaries that have been held during the shutdowns and during the height of the pandemic. And that is that it, you know, we, in order to protect public health, we've been um, encouraging people to try to vote by mail, but uh, in multiple states, including New Mexico, um, we found that our voter election laws or the courts have found that our voter election laws would not permit a vote by mail situation. So during our primary, which just wrapped up a couple of weeks ago on June 2nd, we had the highest voter turnout in a primary in history and record numbers of absentee voters. But because of our mail system and the system being overwhelmed by this new vote of, mode of voting, there were literally thousands of ballots that didn't get counted in time. And so this is a very timely discussion because um, in two days, our legislature is going to begin a special session. And one of the topics that we're hoping to take up is to um, update the uh, election laws so that we can have a vote by mail um, and extension of absentee ballot um, uh, counting in the fall so that we don't end up with, you know, again, thousands of people um, either not having their votes counted or having to stand in line and put themselves at risk. And this is particularly scary, I think, because our public health officials are warning that we could have a second wave of this pandemic. And that's sort of a natural ebb and flow, um, you know, with a, th this kind of disease is, as the summer months warm up um, and we've taken all these social distancing uh, measures that that the spread slows down, though we are seeing spikes right now. So I think one of the biggest sort of structural challenges of this election cycle is actually voting. Another huge structural impact of um, this election cycle is normally the way candidates persuade voters is they knock on doors. And right now we can't knock on doors. And so trying to figure out how do you campaign during election cycle? And this goes back to what I was just talking about of like us being particularly vulnerable to social media and advertising because um, that's how elections are trying to reach voters right now. Um, and so it's really affecting the way that people campaign. And I think, you know, the, I want to go back to something you said in your opening, which is you were talking about let's focus on the election and let's focus on on, on the politics and, and coronavirus and that intersection. But I do think that this massive social movement that's happening right now in front of our eyes um, and on our streets in the United States and all over the world is all part and parcel of um, you know, the 
tremendous social stress that we're under right now. I, I saw um, a woman talking about this on Instagram the other day, that we're all so dysregulated right now from everything that's going on and the stress, and it's kind of erupted in the streets. And I think that, you know, the anti-racism movement that's happening right now in a certain sense and the kind of like blossoming that we're seeing of it is both a reaction to the stress of everything that's going on but also this sort of like awareness that we're suddenly I think as a society and as a planet kind of a reconciliation we're having as socially in some of the same ways that at the beginning of this pandemic um, people were seeing sort of an environmental awareness and sustainability awareness, you know, as skies were clearing and things like that. So to me, these are all part and parcel. This is, you know, this is sort of like we're all in the in the stew pot stewing and, and all of a sudden it's all kind of come out and it's all tied into our politics, of course. So I, I think right. it's all it's all part of the same thing. I think you're absolutely right. And I think those things are definitely connected and all very important. And I am happy to see us moving in those directions for sure. Yeah. Anyone else have thoughts? I think Melanie summed it up incredibly well of these really <laughs> powerful forces that we're facing with a massive social movement and of course a global pandemic. The third sort of circle in the Venn diagram that will likely impact our election and um, all of these. I like the stew pot because it really is. We're all sort of stewing. Um, but the third is uh, probably a, a massive economic shock that we will see primarily as a result of um, the pandemic and of COVID, but it will take on a life of its own. And it's likely to have ripple effects through to the election in November. And ultimately, what we'll see is um, an election that is impacted by these three big, massive things. And I think it's really difficult to predict how that plays out. As, as Melanie said, you know, campaigning is incredibly different, how we're getting information um, and how that will play out. You know, I happen to think word of mouth networks have become more important than ever, which social media somewhat amplifies. But ultimately, um, this vote by mail and whether there are well-financed efforts to suppress votes um, and other things that go on across states, it'll be somewhat different. But all of these factors will ultimately play into the results of the election in November. And I think people's um, economic pain is another factor that will certainly be important for the rest of this year. Yeah, and I, I, if it's okay, I want to just add on to that to say that I think going back to the original question that Eric was asking is that I do think that part of the kind of wedge right now that um, the political parties and politicians are trying to drive is really around economics on in particular in kind of the center and the right. And I think on the left, because this social justice movement is erupting right now in an election year, 
You know, people are demanding change, structural institutional change at the same time that um, our politics has also been pulled in the other direction. And so there is this sort of like epic David and Goliath battle happening in our political sphere right now because of the current events. Right. It's interesting. uh, And I want to give Kat a a chance to comment, but the, (laughs) the, 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 the political movements that we're seeing at the moment, uh, you know, in in terms of um, the race relations and uh, the the economic massive diversity that we're seeing in terms of the the top and the bottom and the um, emotions behind all of it is um, to me a, an amazing breakthrough that that we really haven't seen in decades, and I I feel very passionate about the the changes that I think we're going to see come out of this time period. It's it's sort of this moment in time that I think we're going to look back on and and find that it was a, a perfect storm of of opportunities really. Kat, do you want to comment on uh, election thoughts? Um well, I, I kind of was quiet. That's not really my area as much as sure. you know, the elected officials that are certainly in the room. But I think that there is something in terms of the election and, and, and the direction that we're going and related to the social justice. There, there is a certainly a new heightened sensitivity to equity and also resilience because of COVID. Um, and and resilience itself is also very much uh, an equity related issue because those who are um, impacted the greatest from tragedies, including COVID have been minority communities and um, uh, communities of poverty. So um, I am also hopeful that this is a watershed moment um, where people are starting to realize that it is important that we take care of each other. It, and if I take care of you, I am improving my quality of life and really understanding that, um, that concept. And I'm, I'm hoping that, that that is something that will come out of this and hopefully be reflected in who we choose in November. Well, Kat, let me expand on this a little bit, uh, as you mentioned, you know, the social justice issues and some of the problems that we've seen. And and I think of this as a not just social justice, but a, a political issue as well, which is pushing us in this moment. But we've seen really for decades and maybe hundreds of years, but a lack of um, medical care for people of color. It's been an issue for a long time, but it's it's been very much heightened again uh, during the time of COVID. And so it, when we talk about social justice, um, do you have any thoughts or, or comments on that? Um, and of course, anyone else jump in after Kat? Equity and access to healthcare is certainly been uh, shown to be a crisis conditions during this time of COVID, the number, the higher number of people um, getting sick and dying from COVID that are in communities of color and communities of poverty uh, really highlights that and highlights the fact that this is a public 
health issue. Access to, to health care isn't just about having it, it's it's a human right and, and it's and it's a community wide uh, issue that we need to understand how 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 if there's anyone in our community that doesn't have access to health care or who is forced to work in unsafe conditions and then gets sick, that that affects everyone. It increases the risk to everyone. And so it is in everyone's interest that there be universal health care. However, we can make that happen, but that um, it should be seen as uh, a basic human right and as well as utilities, as well as uh, broadband uh, access to the internet, which is now where so much business is done. We need to think of things differently. And I think that uh, we're starting to, we're starting to see those connections and hopefully that will have an impact on who gets elected in November. Yeah, and I, I'd like to weigh in on this and say, you know, inequities in health outcomes are a symptom of social and economic inequality. And I think you can't talk about health inequities without talking about inequality in history. And what we're seeing in our country right now with the outbreak and, um, and the public health response is that we're seeing disproportionate um, numbers of African-American um, folks dying and having um, poor outcomes from the healthcare that they've received. And we're seeing a huge outbreak in our tribal communities and here in New Mexico, um, the impacts of COVID-19, especially on the Navajo Nation and a number of pueblos has been the highest rates of transmission anywhere in the country. And um, that's because of history. That's because of inequality. That's because of lack of infrastructure. It's because of lack of access to healthcare. Um, and so all of these things, like we were talking about earlier, are all intertwined. So you can't really talk about, you know, addressing health inequities in the response, uh, in our public health response to this pandemic without talking about addressing fundamental economic and social inequalities. And I think in some ways that is, you know, I, I watched um, a commentator was talking the other day about, you know, that was one of the factors that sparked this, um, this social movement we're seeing right now because it, it, people are literally dying, not just from police violence, but are also literally dying from this public health crisis. And so um, I think that healthcare, healthcare is always a key factor in elections and in politics. But I think, you know, the sort of intertwining of access to health care along with access to infrastructure and addressing fundamental economic inequalities in our society are so in our face and front and center in a way that they never have been before that it's forcing us to confront dark histories, um, you know, and really try to understand how can we start to structurally address these issues. Yeah. So I'm going to make one quick comment. And then before we run out of time, I want to give everyone a, a, a moment to just talk about themselves a little bit, because I do want to give you an opportunity. But my comment on this, um, this issue is as, as well, and I've talked a, a bit about the social justice issue and um, medical care and all of that. But I also want to mention the issues for public health officials. And we've seen a number of them around the country 
being harassed over just doing their job during this time. Many of them have had to resign because of the harassment they're receiving, or they've been fired during this time for doing their job and trying to keep people safe. And I find that appalling and uh, very concerning during this time of, of COVID. And, and that's something we've got to do better about and taking care of the people who are trying to take care of us. So I'm very concerned about that issue. And I know we probably could talk about so many different aspects of, of the, of, of COVID and the pandemic and the political issues, but we're going to run out of time. (laughs) So, um, so what I want to do before we end is because you guys, you ladies have been so generous with your time with me. I want to give you an opportunity to just mention uh, again about who you are, what you do, share a tiny bit about your business um, and and just, you know, tell tell our listeners who you are. And Kate, why don't you go first? Well, thanks very much for the opportunity. And thank you all for the discussion. This has been really excellent. And I so appreciate it. Um, I'm Kate Noble. I am currently the president of the Santa Fe School Board. Um, My day job is for an organization called the New Mexico Early Childhood Development Partnership, which works on early childhood policy. And just as a little plug, I would say for many of the things that we've talked about, um, I would argue that education and investing in early childhood are a huge piece of the answer to uh, creating a more just and equal society. And um, we have, you know, people are chewing over the controversial words of defund the police. And I've appreciated a lot of what's been pointed out recently that we really have defunded education over years and years. You know, we're still not back at where we were in 2008 in terms of investment levels. And we have increased in this state investments in early childhood, but these are really critical investments in terms of closing opportunity gaps and creating a more just society. I come from um, 10 years previously in economic and community development, working for the city of Santa Fe um, and on a number of independent projects. And before that, I spent 10 years as a business and economics journalist for BBC World. Um, And I really feel that these sort of 20 years of, of career pathways that I had before my early childhood job brought me to the simple conclusion that education is the most important foundation that we have and public education is something we really need to strongly support as a social system that is integrated with healthcare and all the things we've been talking about. But again, thanks for the opportunity. It's been really great to be with you. Thank you, Kate. And how can people get a hold of you if they have questions on education? The easiest way to reach me is through email at the uh, Santa Fe Public Schools. That email address is uh, K-N-O-B-L-E, so K-Noble, at sfps.k12.nm.us. 
It's also, it's a, it's a burly email address, but I'm available um, under the board on the sfps.info website. So that's Santa Fe Public Schools, sfps.info. And you can look under board members and find me there. Great. Thanks, Kate. Kat, why don't yes. you go and yeah, tell us uh, how people can get a hold of you and a little bit about your business. Um, absolutely. So um, I recently launched a new business called Pax Consulting. Well, my byline is weaving sustainability into policy plans and operations. Um, prior to this, I have 35 years experienced in environmental and sustainability planning, most recently with the city of Santa Fe, um, the sustainability officer, and want to help organizations, counties, cities, tribes develop their sustainability plans and goals and metrics. Um, and so I'm happy to talk with anybody about ideas that they have um, and launch the business. Um, my website is the easiest way to find me probably, which is paxconsulting.biz, B-I-Z. Um, so please, I'm happy to join in conversations and seek opportunities to advance sustainability throughout New Mexico and throughout the country and the world. Excellent. Thanks, Kat. Melanie. Yeah, well, I just want to echo the thanks to you for having us on and for the wonderful conversation that we've had over the last several episodes and um, the service that you guys are doing by putting these conversations out into the public. Um, because I know for me, it's always helpful to hear people talking about issues that I'm thinking about. Um, so I am a state legislator in the state of New Mexico. And I also, because we have a citizen legislature like Kate, I also have a day job. And my day job is also as a small business um, person and I do consulting focused on sustainability, water, and community development mm -hmm. issues. And uh, I can be gotten a hold of by email at uh, melaniestansbury at yahoo.com. And, um, and I'm delighted to talk about any issues that folks would like to talk about from sustainability to politics to how we create meaningful change in our society. So really appreciate the opportunity and, and thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, ladies. And of course, for myself, uh, the business, again, is Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, and we do sustainable investing. You know how to reach us, but I'm going to remind you, you can contact us at info at horizonssfs.com. So you can send us questions about any podcast ideas or thoughts you have, commentary on anything that you've listened to, and subscribe to the podcast so you know uh, what's going on and uh, can catch up on any past issues that we have. So uh, thanks so much, ladies, again, for participating in this conversation. It's been very interesting to have you on. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Yeah. And thank you, Eric, for participating in this. I know uh, it's been a very fascinating topic for me. Absolutely. This is, uh, I enjoy this so much, Kim. Uh, I just have one picture to paint real quick for the audience. 
I've always thought about politics in a way, mainly like a, a game of tug of war, right? You've got a long <laughs> rope and you've got that ribbon in the middle. That ribbon in the middle is where the, the exact middle is and everybody's tugging from one side to the other. The far left, you've got people in the very far left of that rope. The far right, you've got people in the very far right of that rope. And both of those groups, I think, are a little bit crazy. But <laughs> I, I, I am to the right a little bit, right? I'm, I'm a little bit to the right. And Kim, from, uh -huh. just from my conversations with you, I would think that you're maybe a little bit to the left. But I think uh -huh. you and yeah. I, yeah. So I think you and I are standing on either side of that ribbon. And yeah. the beautiful thing is, is that you and I have just had conversations. And I have right. been educated by you and we can reach across that ribbon and shake hands and high five each other and say, Hey, this is great stuff. And that's exactly what you're doing here. I don't know where everybody's right. political slant is and it doesn't bother me. I don't really care <laughs> where you guys' exactly. stance are because you guys have so much to say and so many positive things to bring to this community, bring to the podcast. And again, I just thoroughly enjoyed today. Thank you so much for having these ladies on. I'm hoping that we can revisit this in six months, eight months, 12 months, whatever it is, and really come back and discuss, okay, so the things that we talked about, how did they turn out? What, what happened? And uh, so yeah. I, I'd love to see that happen in the future. Again, thank you so much for putting this together. Yes. It, we should actually have a recap after the election just to see what happens. Well, <laughs> we'll have to try to do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I also uh, just want to mention that the next podcast recording, Podcast 28, the topic is racism, protests, and a statement of solidarity mm -hmm. is a change finally coming. So that's going to be our topic for next podcast. So thank you. You bet. And thanks again. And the last thank you goes to the listening audience, you. Thank you so much for listening to the Deep Impact Investing Podcast with Kimberly Griego-Kyle. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Kim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Now we'd like to take just a moment to thank our sponsors. Yes, and we have two sponsors. The first sponsor is Calvert. Calvert Research and Management is a global leader in responsible investing. Calvert sponsors one of the largest and most diversified families of responsible invested mutual funds, encompassing active and passively managed equity, income, alternative, and multi-asset strategies. With roots in responsible investing, Back to 1982, the firm seeks to generate favorable investment returns for clients by allocating capital consistent with environmental, social, and governance best practices, and through structured engagement with portfolio companies. Our second sponsor is Green Century Capital Management. They are proud to be the home of the first family of fossil fuel-free, responsible, and diversified mutual funds in the U.S. By investing in responsible corporations, Green Century enables individuals to align their investments with their values. Green Century also houses an award-winning shareholder advocacy program that directly presses dozens of companies every year on sustainability practices. Green Century is the only mutual fund company in the U.S. wholly owned by environmental and public health nonprofits, and 100% of the profits earned managing the Green Century funds belongs to them. Thank you so much to Calvert and Green Century Capital Management. We do appreciate those sponsors, and I want to say thank you again for listening today. For everyone at Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Deep Impact Investing Podcast, the sustainable, responsible, impact investing podcast that shows you how to get your voice heard. It's time to start investing like you give a damn. 
to ask a question that we can answer on an upcoming podcast, email us at info at horizonssfs.com or join the conversation on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash horizons sustainable financial services or give us a call at 505-982-9661. Don't forget to click the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes become available. The companies we may speak about during our podcast are not recommendations for investment only. You and your financial advisor can determine what the right investments are for you and your situation. Horizon Sustainable Financial Services is a registered investment advisor registered with the state of New Mexico and other jurisdictions were registered or exempted. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and or guest and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.